Hi, and welcome to Health, Wealth and the Pursuit of Happiness, a podcast that will empower you to live a more inspired life and find real freedom. Each episode, Mark Dale Mazer and Aries Jimenez discuss best life practices, covering topics ranging from health and well-being, to true wealth and our relationship to money, to understanding what real freedom and happiness really is. They provide tools and a system for helping you live a balanced, authentic life in complete harmony with your mind, body and soul. Hello to all of our listeners in podcast land. I'm Mark Dale Mazer, your co-host of Health Wealth and The Pursuit of Happiness. Today is another unique episode. It's related to our health series, and it's unique in that I'm again going solo without Aries because I'm still on the road. Although now I'm in the beautiful Driftless area of Southwest Wisconsin. And my guest is someone I've known for 45 years and have been looking forward to having her on the podcast as a health expert ever since I first conceived of the show. She is a student of yoga and meditation, and without question, has been the greatest influencer on my overall health and well-being than anyone. She brought both yoga and meditation to me, without which I would not be where I am today in my spiritual growth, and for that, I am so thankful. Oh, and did I mention she's also my wife and life partner? Yes, it is a pleasure to bring to you Catherine Ann Mazur. A little bit about Catherine. She is the creator of It's Beyond the Pose, a resource for advanced training and certification for yoga teachers. Her two flagship programs, the Awesome Yoga Formula Mentorship and Teach Awesome Yoga, show yogis how to take their yoga off the mat so they can find strength, balance, and flexibility in all areas of their life. She's also the author of the internationally best-selling book, Yoga, Midlife Pain Relief Secrets. She is taught publicly, privately. She's taught in corporate yoga programs and wellness centers. And she has advanced training in yoga therapy, restorative yoga, yoga for grief, energy healing, and yoga for back pain. And in addition to all that, she is also a certified life coach. So when it comes to yoga and health, she's got game. And when she's not in the yoga studio or creating an online course or mentoring a new yoga teacher, she is a hands-on grandma to our four grandchildren. She also loves exploring the natural beauty of our country, staying in Airbnbs with me, her husband, and our extended family. And so with that, I bring you Catherine Ann Mazur. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. I am really happy to be here. As am I. Been looking forward to this for a long time. And this podcast is uniquely coming to you from a 50-acre farm in beautiful Blanchardville, Wisconsin, about 25, 30 minutes outside of Madison. And we are overlooking a valley 
And is it not one of the most prettiest settings we've ever seen? It is so beautiful here. We've driven that interstate probably a hundred times, 200 times, and getting off the grid and off the interstate and going deep into the farmland. It's really amazing. Beautiful. It's really cool. Beautiful country. Another world. And we're loving it. At this really cool Airbnb, shout out to them, Dottie's Ranch, I believe it's called. No, it's Dottie's Garage. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, it is Dottie's Garage on a ranch. And so today's podcast is actually going to be centered in on the topic of health when it comes to health, wealth, and the pursuit of happiness. And I've asked Catherine to join me in this podcast for this interview because she has been a long-time teacher and student of yoga and overall good health. She has, for as long as I can remember, been very in tune with her body and her mind-body connection and her mind-body-soul connection. So what a better subject master to have on our podcast. One who I'm very, very immensely grateful for because she has brought me some great health benefits. Yeah, it started a long time ago. I think one of our first main things that we did together as we took our step towards health was that co-op that we joined back, a food co-op back in Rockford probably 40 plus years ago when when there were no organic, there Nothing. were no organic no. stores around. 1978-ish. Yeah. And then you bought the Deaf Smith cookbook. I did. And, and I, still, I still cook recipes from that yeah. when I do cook. Yeah. And up to that point, none of that meant anything to me. But what was, it's kind of interesting we look back, like what was driving you to do that? You know, I was always interested in health. I remember being a little girl and asking my mom, is cheese good for you? Wow. Or are tomatoes good for you? Because I didn't like tomatoes. And when she said, oh, yeah, they are, then I tried to get myself to like them. I just really remember it must have been a value that my mom, who is now a very healthy 91. An amazing woman in her own right by far. Yeah. So she she must have passed that value down to me. She must have. I never in my entire life questioned anything until I married you and you brought this stuff in. And then I asked is this stuff supposed to be better for you than things like salami and bologna and Wonder Bread? <laughs> we were products of the 50s. <laughs> yes, we were, which were TV dinners. Yes, Salisbury steak. <laughs> One of my favorites and the fried chicken, which really wasn't fried, of course, once you put it in a aluminum dish, threw it in the yeah, oven. Right. Probably was, maybe, maybe it was fried. Who knows? But each one of those trays had a protein. It had a dessert, most yeah. importantly. Right. And it had, it probably had a starch and a it vegetable. Did. It did, yeah. It was probably some kind of a mashed potato maybe and a carrot or green bean thing, I'm guessing. Yeah. Do you remember much about that? Yeah. But here we are today. It's a much different world. And from that point forward, our life from a health standpoint, at least for me, especially really took a really positive turn. And it continued and it continued. And I'd say for me, the real game changer besides my interlude with the great Chinese medical practitioner, Jim Reese, who I've referred to many times on this podcast, but 
that occurred in the mid-90s, and then I think your introduction to yoga came in the early 2000s, and that's when things really changed for both of us. Yeah, there was a really significant change there because I had always been interested in health and in fitness too. I had always been interested in fit- fitness. I remember doing cartwheels and gymnastics. And you were bodybuilding at the health club in Deerfield. Yes, yes. And so when I found yoga, I mean, it had the health part, it had the the fitness part, but also it had the spirit and the personal growth, which had always interested me from the very beginning too. I was a poet at a young age. Yeah. And so when I found yoga, it all came together. It was love at first ohm. Ooh, nice. might say. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us about that early stage, how you were introduced to yoga, what was sort of a trigger for you? How was it resonating? What was your experience like when you were first introduced to yoga? Well, we had moved to a new city. We'd moved back from Northern California, back to the Chicago area temporarily. And a neighbor invited me to go to a yoga class. And I loved it. It was in the dead of winter. And it was in this big gym. And it was freezing cold in there. And all I really remember is that it was hard. And that at the end, we lied down on the floor. And the teacher took these big, fluffy, warm towels, probably straight from the dryer. And she draped them over each one of us. And I was like, I'm in. (laughs) I just, I loved it. And so I looked up some places where I could do yoga and jumped into it, both feet. And one of my Near my first experiences was after that, I I went to a couple gyms and then I found this small yoga studio. Actually, it was when I was still working out at Bally's in Chicago, dating myself, that people were buzzing about this yoga studio, this yoga group, and that we should try it out. So I went and it was three girls, three women who had started a little yoga. It wasn't really a studio because they met in a temple. And they practiced right by the altar, and they called it Yoga Here and Now. And I just loved it, and I started practicing, and I guess I was pretty good at it, probably from all my fitness and bodybuilding and all that. I had a lot of body awareness and body sense, and and I guess they thought I was a teacher. And so when they started to grow, and they wanted to give up, one of them wanted to give up a Thursday night class, small class of three people. And she asked me if I wanted to take it over. And I had really just started practicing, but I I did. I wanted to take it over, so I did. I took over her little class of three. And fortunately, I knew enough about the body and the spirit that I didn't mislead them. Nobody got injured. And we had a really good time. Were you actually hooked? Sort of got the teacher bug from that first experience? What was that like? I knew I wanted to teach right off the bat. You know, after a couple of weeks, I just knew I can do this. This is something I want to do. So I was really grateful for the opportunity. And then that little yoga studio, Yoga Here and Now, merged with a very large multi-million dollar company, I think. It was a Highland Park Hospital subsidiary. And it was a health center, and they had built on a million-dollar, beautiful million-dollar mind-body studio, and they merged that wellness center with our little yoga following, 
and I came on board and our population doubled, tripled. We took on more teachers and we really grew. And it was at that point in time when I thought, well, I better get myself certified. Mm. So I told all my students I wouldn't be teaching for a while because I was going to go do a teacher training and they couldn't really understand why I was doing a teacher training. But I did go off and I got certified because that was back when the industry of yoga it wasn't as hard and fast. They didn't really require you to have a certification. They just wanted to make sure that you knew how to teach yoga. Mm-hmm. And that's why now they require certification. But that gets complicated too, because sometimes there's programs that are offering certifications and, and you know, really turning out yoga teachers, mm-hmm. quote, that aren't really prepared to teach. And that's a whole nother subject we yes, can talk about later. Right. So you got your initial training where, and what was that experience like in terms of further connecting mind, body, soul to the yoga practice? Or was it a little bit more physical? Tell us a little bit about Well, I wanted to be legit. And so I already had been teaching. I already knew the practice. I already knew the philosophies because I had been studying and I just loved it. I immersed myself in it. So I just wanted a certification program that made sense for me. So I wanted something that was very condensed. So I chose to do, I think it was an eight-week program, eight weeks straight, rather than something that you do quarterly. I had tried one of those quarterly programs. I think it was Yoga Fit. They're probably still around, where you can get your 200-hour certification in different segments and fit it in with your life. So take this segment on this weekend in Chicago and this segment you know, the following fall in New York. And I had tried that, but it, it didn't really... Um, it didn't really give me what I was looking for. So I decided to go into an immersion program and I thought, well, if I'm going to take eight weeks of my life, I might as well go somewhere fun. And Bali and India were kind of out of the question for me. So I decided to go to New York and do my teacher training there. And I found a small boutique studio and really immersed myself in learning all of the deeper things and practicality of teaching. And was that a 200 hour? That was a 200 hour. Yes. Looking back on it, I see it was skinny in a lot of things, but it was a good, you know, it laid down some deeper foundation for Fairly me. Fairly well-known no. program? No. No, not or really. That, or the, the well-known one followed that? The Kripalu? No. So the studio where I was teaching in this Buffalo Grove Wellness Center, actually they called it Highland Park Hospital Fitness Center in Buffalo Grove. That studio, the girls who started it were trained at Kripalu, which is a very well-known large organization on the the East Coast. Right. And so I had learned a lot from them. I had learned a lot from my fellow teachers. So I had a really well-rounded education. The teacher training program that I went through in that 200 hour was actually a Jiva Mukti based practice. So I got exposed to that. And then subsequently, when we moved to California, I was really a student of Anyasara for a while. And my very first teacher before I even 
joined you know, the staff at Yoga Here and Now was a Ashtanga teacher. So all these different disciplines, and for those of the listeners that don't, these are just terms that, that they don't know from yoga, the yoga world. There's, it's like yoga is a tree. It's an old discipline and it has a major trunk. And then through the years, it has branched out in many different ways. For everything from acro yoga nowadays to a gentle yoga practice to stand up paddleboard yoga. It's it's really crazy and creative. It's gotten very westernized too. Yes, it yeah. has. It has. And it's it's split into being many things for many people. And in a way I feel that's good hot yoga that it brings people in. It brings a lot of the hot yoga, which I taught hot yoga for about eight or nine years it tends to bring in more males. They like to sweat it out. And so it brings in, or, you know, beginners, athletes that are like, I think I like this. I can do this. I'm really getting a good sweat on. So it brings people in the yoga door and then they begin to feel the benefits of it. And then a good percentage of them might move on to some of the deeper practices rather than just staying with the physical practice. So there's many different branches and I've been exposed to a lot of them through my trainings, and just through my interests. So let's go to sort of Yoga 101. So for the percentage of our listening audience that, let's say, does not practice yoga, might have an interest in practicing yoga, wants to learn a little bit more about it, but wants to understand this whole mind-body-soul connection and what it is that yoga is actually doing from a health standpoint for people. The movement, why this movement is better than another movement. Where would you start as just sort of an opening introduction to yoga and what it's about and why people should be doing it? That's a great question and a very pertinent question to this time because yoga is growing exponentially. It used to be that the largest segment of the population that was doing yoga, which was a very small segment of the population, were 18 to 25-year-olds. And now yoga is really growing, and the largest sector that's coming in to the yoga practice is people in their 50s and 60s because they don't feel so good anymore, and they've heard that yoga is good for them. And and that's what, you know, pretty much everybody, yoga is pretty mainstream now. Pretty much everybody knows I should do yoga. Yoga is good for me. I should meditate. Meditation's good for me. But I can't touch my toes. I hear that all the time. I'd like to do yoga, but I'm too inflexible. I can't touch my toes. And so I'm really happy that I get a chance to educate your listeners about what yoga really is. It is not about touching your toes. It's flexibility is one one side benefit. It's a benefit of yoga, as is increasing your balance and your strength in your body. The physical poses will definitely do that. But yoga is not, yoga doesn't equal physical poses. Yoga is a entire system of health and happy living. Long, long ago, when people didn't really like the status quo of what was being offered for 
happy, healthy living. They didn't like leeching or whatever they were doing back thousands of years ago. And they didn't like the model that was being offered to them. They began to experiment with different things, which was including breath control, self-inquiry, and movements of their body. And they found a system or over the centuries put together things that worked and the first really documented documented information on what modern day yoga is was documented by a sage whose name was Patanjali. And they're not really even sure when he documented it, but it was somewhere between, you know, zero AD and, you know, it was back thousands of years ago, maybe. So Patanjali was the first one to document the components of what we now call modern day yoga. And those components were how to conduct yourself, how to conduct yourself with others, how to take care of your body, how to breathe to take care of your life force and to control your emotions and your energy and your mentality and how to nurture healthy ways of thinking and nurture your brain. And all that fit together in a system that is yoga. And it's a really great system. And there's all there's other systems that have been created throughout the history of mankind. But yoga is one of the main complete ones. And it has a sister science, which is Ayurveda. And those grew up simultaneously. Could you explain a little bit about Ayurveda? Just yeah, Ayurveda level. is an ancient Eastern form of medicine that's based on living within the rhythms of the seasons, eating foods that support your own particular constitution or body type, or type of energy, of which there are three, they call it doshas. There are three main ones. There's vata, pitta, and kapha. And your listeners can probably recognize, even with a, a quick, brief review of what those three doshas are, they probably can recognize themselves. Vata energy is a very quick, fast, wiry, airy, active type of energy. And people who are vata are like that. They're wiry. They're, you know, have lots of energy. Kapha is more of a grounded, a heavy, a wet. It can be very foundational energy, a pillar. And then there's pitta, which is the third type of dosha in the Ayurvedic system of medicine. That is a very... It's a very strong, it's a very forceful, it's a very fiery, it's a very active. People who are mostly pitta tend to be leaders. Sometimes they have a little problem with their fire or their anger. They know what they want and they know how to get it and they go for it. So these that's a quick overview of the doshas. If you your listeners want more, they could just Google dosha and, and take a million different dosha quizzes. I think I have a, in my book, Yoga Midlife Pain Relief Secrets, I do think that I have one of my chapters is on the doshas. 
But anyhow, the Ayurvedic system of medicine is largely based on how to nourish your particular dosha and eat in accordance to what's going to support that. Yeah. So coming back to yoga, you said something interesting. You talked about sort of the evolution of maybe what was supporting people from a health standpoint. And they found this system of movement and poses and different things that actually worked for people. Tell me and tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. What actually worked better with respect to yoga than some of these other ancient modalities? Yoga is a mind, body, spirit, complete system And when you try and separate out one, there's an imbalance of energy and health. So yoga addresses the mind with the meditation and mantra portion, which helps all kinds of exercises and techniques to harness the mental activity. It addresses the body, putting you through full range of challenging but also relaxing, freeing body movements. So in the movements that are traditionally taught in a modern-day yoga class, and that can vary widely. If you're going to a restorative class, you're going to have one kind of yoga experience. If you go to a kundalini yoga class, you're going to have a wildly different experience. The mainstream of yoga, pretty much at least in this country, and probably over the world, is a vinyasa style of yoga, which is a flowing style where you link one pose to the next pose. And it can be kind of a gentle linking together with your breath and the pose, or it can be a very vigorous and athletic style. So, But this is the component that speaks to the body and the health of the body. So the one piece speaks to the health of the mind. Then there's a piece that speaks to the health of the body, supporting it as I said earlier, in balance and strength and in flexibility because we need to move all of our body parts in in their full range of motion to keep everything working well, not just to be flexible and touch our toes, but so that our lymphatic system can drain and so that our organs get the proper massage and so that our fascia, which is that internal web that's like a glue, that will glue your shoulders and your hips together, that that fascia stays supple and hydrated. And yoga does that very, very well. And then there is the spiritual part. So we are mind, body, and spirit, or you could call it soul or whatever you want to. You could even call it emotion. One of the main tenets of yoga is sat, chit, ananda, which is existence or this reality that we're all living on earth. Chit is consciousness and we're people with brains. We are aware that we are aware. And Ananda is bliss. And those are three main pillars of yoga. So whether you call it soul, spirit, or emotion, it's that part of you that's not your thinking self It's more like your heart self, that part of you where you connect to the essence of who you are. 
So not religious at all. I know that there's been a big debate in recent history about yoga and school and separating, you know, religion and it is not a religion. Yoga is so ancient that it has taken on different aspects of the religion in the different countries where it's been practiced. It has a, a very strong Hindu influence, but it's not a faith at all. It is a practice. So one of the things that popped into my mind as you were talking about the connection between mind, body, and soul, that when you go into, let's say, an early beginning pose in yoga, maybe the beginning of a particular flow, a vinyasa flow. There are a number of different poses that one goes through. I've sat in many, I've not, not sat, I've attended many of your classes and the very routine that I do sometimes on a daily basis, certainly when I'm in the gym, is somewhat mirroring one of your typical flows where you're starting in a standing position and you, let's say you do a forward fold, okay? And then you move from a forward fold and you eventually maybe get to, let's say, a downward dog. Take us through, I'm kind of curious for those listening that actually do some of these poses and are somewhat familiar with them. For example, what is something as simple but very profound as a forward fold? What's it actually doing for us? Mm, that's a great question too, Mark. There is a physiological effect of these poses that we do. That's why we can't separate the mind, body, and yeah. spirit. Mm -hmm. A forward fold has a calming effect on the system. It helps to stimulate the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. We have two branches of our nervous system. One is the one that gets you ready to run away and, or, or fight. And the other one is the other branch, the parasympathetic, fight or flight is the sympathetic nervous system. We need that. And a parasympathetic nervous system is the one that calms you back down. And in this culture and day and age that we live in, we are, our foot is on the gas pedal and it does not come off. I mean, we, you and I have just, we're coming off of a month sabbatical that we took. Yes. And I know it took me probably into the, well into the second week, maybe the beginning of the third week until I felt like I finally wasn't as anxious and hyped as I am when I'm just going through right, my daily right. life. Similar experience here for yeah. sure. And so, so a forward fold is a great way to calm the mind, body, and spirit. All forward folds will do that, whether you're standing and folding or whether you're seated and folding or you're lying down on your back and hugging your knees into your chest. That's a bit of a fold. Physiologically, the back bending poses will create energy. So in yoga for your emotional health, they will teach back bends, not a full out wheel, but you know, just a gentle opening of the chest and the rolling open and back of the arm bones and the lifting of the breastbone. That's a, even you could do that standing. That is a back bend. You're bringing the spine forward that will relieve depression. It's used therapeutically in yoga therapy to help people with depression or, or that are dealing with profound grief or even daily grief. So that's an important part. So 
in a well-rounded yoga practice, you will do some forward folds. You will do some backward bending. You do some twisting and that's detoxing your body and your organs. And you might do an inversion. You might lie on your back and put your legs up the wall. And that's great for aiding, calming you again, aiding in sleep. So all of these poses really do affect your body on multiple layers and levels. And how about like, what's, what's downward dog, which is so basic in normal flow yoga. What is it doing? So it's sort of like a combination of things there. Like how would you describe? So that's one of the beauties of the yoga practice is that the poses often have multiple benefits. Downward facing dog is when you're like an upside down V. Your butt's in the air and your hands and your feet are on the floor and they're wide enough apart so that you feel just slightly unstable but not, you know, too off balance. Usually your heels are reaching towards the floor. They're not actually flat on the floor in the type of yoga that I teach. However, there are other yogas types that teach your feet are flat on the floor and your down dog is narrower. That is an inversion. Anytime your head gets below your heart and your hips, it's an inversion, which paradoxically, it can both calm you and energize you. It's great for bringing the blood flow to where it normally isn't being flooded and kind of turns everything upside down. So it's really great for a detox. That pose, and we do a lot in practice that I teach because it does so many things. It does detox, it does calm, and it also lifts your spirits. It's great for stretching out the back of the legs, which in our culture, we sit a lot, and the hamstrings get really tight, and that pulls on the low back and gives, that's why we have a chronic problem with low back pain in this country and throughout the world. They say sitting is the new smoking. So down dog is a great pose that helps with that. Now, not everybody can do down dog because of restrictions in their wrists or other restrictions they might have. So a yoga teacher who really is experienced and knows her stuff or his stuff will be able to offer other poses that will give the same or similar benefits. And that brings us back to the people who are entering the yoga world now at 50 and 60 because they've heard it's good for them. They can't come in. You're very athletic and you're very fit and have been doing yoga for a long time. So the average person can't come in and do that very athletic practice that you do. And so if a yoga teacher has been taught solely in that one form a very athletic style of yoga, which is very common in most 200-hour programs these days, she won't know or he won't know how to really help the person who can't do that kind of practice. Yes, and that may lead me to the next question. When one is looking to begin yoga, share with us some general guidelines that, that one should follow in finding a teacher? Another really wise question, because every yoga teacher is different. Every yoga class is different. But generally, if you're just starting in, it's good to go to a beginner class 
or a gentle class. Now that, that kind of depends on who you are, where you're at physically. I was very athletic. So I jumped into a very athletic style of yoga right away. And I was like, yes, I love this. If you're that person, then maybe you want to look at a hot yoga class. They tend to be pretty athletic and strenuous. If you're just coming back into health and you want to ease your way in, look for one of those gentle classes or an introductory class. If you're really needing self-care and you mostly just want to move your body some and relieve stress and anxiety, maybe if you have the constitution that just wants to really get the chill benefit of yoga, not the athletic benefit of yoga, then then seek out a restorative class. But the one piece of advice I would say is don't go to one class and, and judge it on that because every class is so different. Every style is different. Look for one that first evaluate what do I want to get out of it? And then look for a class in your area that sounds like it's what you want. And then call the studio and ask them to, or look online and see how they describe the particular class. Keep going until you find a teacher and a class you love. Yes. And I'll add to that in my own experience is really kind of like what I do with alternative practitioners or doctors. I look at their background and how they actually talk about their work. I find that with yoga instructors, they talk a lot about why they are doing what they're doing and what they do really want to bring to students. So furthering your thought, I think that when we're looking for those things, we should look with those things and those words and those ideas and concepts that really resonate with us, that really sort of match our vibrational need for whatever that is. Right. And you'll find that in the teacher's bio yeah, at the exactly. studio. And there are, by the way, lots of really great online sources for yoga, like Gaia and Yoga Glow. And there's multiple ones that you can go on and find someone that you like. And these are practitioners you can take via in front of your computer or TV. Right. right yeah. yeah. You can just sign on for unbelievably inexpensive, like $11 a month. I think Gaia is GA. IA.com. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just one of many. You, your listeners can Google it. But uh, I wouldn't recommend only doing that. That's a great supplement or maybe a way to start to get familiar. But you really need the community mm -hmm. and the expertise of a teacher who's leading you and watching you. Yeah. But it's a the online stuff is a good supplement. Yeah. And you might be living in an area that just doesn't support small towns, right. small town America, or wherever you might be right. living and listening to this may not have a community, may not have a yoga studio nearby. So this is the next best thing. And something we talked about offline, which maybe you can touch on too, is when it comes to health, this is a responsibility that we have for ourselves. I mean, we should be the ones responsible for our health. We grow up in the West with this concept that my doctor is responsible for my health. And that is really not true. The doctor doesn't actually do a whole lot, no matter whether they're a Western doctor or an Eastern doc. Your body is the one that heals itself. They, the body just needs an enabling and the body may need a boost here or there or some sort of direction or guidance in order for our body to actually 
do the type of healing that's required. But ultimately, we are the ones responsible for it happening. And so yoga is certainly one of those modalities that we can actively integrate into our life for the sake of health. And so that's where I want to go next with the conversation is, I know we've touched on it, but let's again get deeper in broadening the application that yoga can have for all parts of our life experience, not just our physical self or our flexibility, but going beyond to all those other parts of our life and managing that part of our life. How would you address that? Yeah. I have a person who started coming, working at the yoga, one of the yoga studios where I teach. And I asked him, I believe he's also a yoga teacher trained. And I asked him, oh, how did you, when did you start yoga? Why did you start yoga? And he said, I, it helped me through my divorce. It's the only thing that saved me. And I have another person whose stories in my book, a dear friend and student who was going through withdrawal. You know, she had, she had been addicted to cocaine, I believe. And she had come out of that when she decided, when she found out she was pregnant, it was a long time ago. And she didn't want to be that kind of person or mother. And she was coming out of it and she needed support. And she um, drove by one of the studios where I teach and it's actually called Peace, Love and Yoga Studio. And she saw it and she's like, I need some of that. And she came to class and she just got the support that she needed by the community and the teaching and philosophy of yoga that was infused in the class. So people are going through big stuff. Everyone. We look at each other and we think, oh, they have it together. Everyone. Everyone is challenged and grieving. As Eckhart Tolle says, maybe, yo- maybe life isn't bothering you right now. I'll wait until tomorrow. I mean, there's always something big or small that we seem to be challenged by. Maybe if you just fell in love or just found out you're going to have a baby or bought your new house, you're feeling pretty good now. But life is a up and down ride. So all the people in your life and that you come across and that come into my yoga class need support. And yoga can be that emotional support. That's that spirit piece because something kind of magical happens when you're going through this practice and you're breathing and you're tuning inward to yourself. That's a component that I'd say probably 99% of the yoga classes are going to have, no matter what the style. Tune into yourself, tune into your breathing. And just that act of self-care and self-noticing, which is a pillar of yoga that is so healing to the spirit. Pay attention to me, your heart says. And when you turn your attention inward, it's profoundly healing. And whether you're trying to get through a rough divorce or you've just lost a loved one, it's a practice that can help you heal. One of the benefits that I'll share on that is how yoga helped me get out of my head by getting me focused on my body. Because I never used to really focus on my body. I would play sports and I would play basketball and softball and tennis and golf and I would 
feel my body kind of going through it, but I wasn't really consciously aware of it because it was moving so fast. And it was, of course, there was an object at play. Could be a basketball, could be a baseball, could be a golf ball, tennis ball, whatever. But the thing about yoga, and there's something amazing about it helping with one's presence and one's being in the moment. Because when you're going through triangle pose, for example, this is one of my key poses, and I've got this body pose, which on some level seems so unnatural, and yet the longer I stayed with it and the more I did it, the more I felt an emotional balancing act going on within me. It did provide calm. It provided a deeper knowing about sort of just my whole body composition. It's hard to explain, but I would summarize it by saying that there is something in the yoga poses that does help enable one to be much more present. Because when you're in this, you can do nothing but really concentrate on what's going on. And of course, the other thing I want to touch on before we end this podcast is the different types of yoga that there are out there. And I, of course, I think I pretty much practice for the most part the vinyasa flow. I don't know if that's actually called, if that's a form of hatha yoga, but this new experience that you and I have both shared in over the last, what, year and a half, two years of kundalini yoga is a whole nother sort of energy, mind, body, soul experience. How would you sort of bringing that into the conversation a bit, explain a little bit about that modality and some of these others out there? Well, it goes along with you telling your listeners to be responsible for their own health. And what I said about what do you need? Why are you doing this? You know, are you doing it because you know you should be more flexible? Well, you know, start with a regular yoga class that's going to be stretching. You could even get one of those at the gym. But do you need to shift your energy? Kundalini is all about energy and spiritual connection and letting your energy, your nervous system strengthen so that you can handle what life throws at you. And that's the focus of Kundalini. It deals with breath a lot lots of chanting and mantras, very powerful practice. That's why we're practicing it because we found that it is very, for us, it's very, very powerful. And it, they say it works 17 times faster than all the other forms of yoga. I'm not sure how they measured that, but my experience certainly has been that it's been exactly what I've needed at this point in my yoga journey. So for the listeners that want to enter the yoga world, evaluate what do you think you need? And then go find it. It's out there. And for those of you who are already yogis, is your current practice meeting your needs? And if it's not, then go find it. Just put the intention out there. And what you said a little bit earlier about how the practice really helped you connect with your body because you're all about in your mind and those ball sports where your mind is following the ball instead of you. There, I, my last blog, I gave away a embodiment meditation 
which is part of the practice of yoga, which is a way to actually meditate. And you can bring yourself to this state, even when you're standing at your counter cooking or taking a walk, you don't have to be seated meditating, but it's an embodied meditation. And that can be a really useful way to bring you into your body instead of just in your mind, because we're in our mind all day long. You know, we're in front of the computer, we're solving problems. So to get into your body, whether you're going to a yoga class or you're doing an, an embodied meditation, it's a really good way to balance your energy and balance your life. And if your listeners want that embodied meditation, I'm happy to share that with them via, it's a PDF. Great, great. And we'll put that in the show notes for sure. What else from a support standpoint? Books, for example, any particular books, readings, or resources that would be really helpful for our listening audience regarding yoga? Yeah, that's a hard one. There's so many good ones out there. I will say one of my personal favorites is Meditations from the Mat by Rolf Gates. It's kind of a daily you know, there's a couple of pages you can read. It takes you through the entire philosophy of yoga, which is the eight limbs of yoga. That's Patanjali. He was the modern day father or the father of modern day yoga. He wrote the sutras, which explain the eight limbs or the eight, you know, main facets of a yoga practice, which include those things that I talked about, you know, it's meditation, it's turning inward, it's working with your breath, it's how you treat yourself, how you treat others. So this book, Meditations from the Mat, takes you through in a very practical way, takes it out of the sky and right into your life. And it's super good. He's got a good sense of humor. He was an alcoholic, military guy, alcoholic. Navy SEAL, I think. Was he? Yeah. Amazing. We practiced with him that one year. Oh my gosh. It was so powerful. It was wonderful. I think he's based in Northern California. So that would be one book that I would recommend. Also, there's a book that's not a yoga book that I think both you and I have found very powerful. In fact, I think you brought it with on this trip called The Untethered Soul. I did indeed. By Michael, what's his last name? Singer. Yes. A great explanation of the voices in your head and why you can't meditate, which is what I hear. I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible at all, and I can't meditate because I can't still my mind. And that's, you know, that's the whole re- the reason why we, we're human. None of us can still our minds, and you won't still your mind in meditation. That's just never going to happen. So the untethered soul is a great way to to really understand the practice of meditation in a very easy reading format. Yeah, so those are a couple books I I like, along with, I love Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, The Four Agreements by Miguel Ruiz. Try and live my life by those. And so many great teachers out there, it's hard to, but that's a good, great place to start. Cool. And you know some of the questions that I go through at the end of my podcast because you have listened to my podcasts. I have, everyone. And so let's let's examine the younger self and older self conversation. So if you were looking back, knowing what you know today, if you were advising your 18-year-old self about life and the connection of mind, body, spirit, taking responsibility for your health and your well-being, 
What advice might you give yourself? I would tell me to live more intentionally from the get-go. It's hard when you're young. You don't think that you need to live intentionally. You think it's all going to fall together. But I would have told her to take meaningful, courageous action and build a life. Build a life. And to just keep building in the direction that I want to go. You know, people have said that they admire me because they see me as an act, action person, that I have an idea and then I follow through and make it happen. And it's true. Like that food co-op in the 70s, we wanted organic products and we couldn't afford them. So we joined the co-op. Or remember, I worked at that furniture company, Bombay, because we needed to decorate our house. Classic and, uh, leveraging there. <laughs> right. And then that continued when I joined, when I got hired at United, United Airlines because we wanted to travel or, or Juice Plus, which is the supplements that, that we use, the whole food yes. supplements. A great product, by the way. It's a great product. We'll put that in the show put notes too. that in too. the show notes for sure. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to support my health and so I became a distributor for that. So I found yoga and I was like, oh, I can do this. So I I did a career change right at around the age of 50. So it's true that I do take action, but, but if it would have been a little more intentional, the big picture, that's what I would tell myself, you know, plan it out, take action. And yeah, I could have used all, all this stuff, this self-inquiry, this physical, mental, spiritual practice is a very holistic, which is yoga. I could have used that when I was, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So regarding closing thoughts, first of all, thank you very much for sharing. It's been really cool and very insightful and I'm sure very helpful for our listening audience and hopefully will be just one of many visits in front of the microphone. You can certainly go deeper on meditation, I know that. Yeah. And we'll have you back for that subject, which is inexhaustible and extremely fascinating. But in closing, if you wanted our audience to take away one thing from this podcast and apply it in their life, what would you tell them? Hmm. I would say it's never too late never too late to get healthier, never too late to start meditating. It's never too late for whatever you want. Just start where you are and don't let your inner critic talk you out of your dreams. Just do it. Just do your best without any excuses. Don't think about your limitations. Like, I'm short. I'm only 5'1". And I never I never thought about I'm a short person until, I don't know, a couple of decades ago. I thought, wow, I'm a short person. But why focus on it? It didn't serve me, right? So if you feel like you're too old or you're not too inflexible or you're too busy, don't focus on your limitations. It doesn't serve you. Instead, just take action. And don't be afraid to take messy action. Don't be afraid that your yoga poses are going to look silly and people are going to laugh at you. Not true. And, you know, just take that action. Be intentional. Start where you are. 
take messy action. Take messy action. Three great words. <laughs> Thank you. Well, this has been great. Again, I appreciate your time and I appreciate you sharing. And until the next podcast, we thank you all for listening. Hope this has been beneficial. Please be sure to check out the show notes. Please be sure if you have not rated the podcast to please do so. Leave a review. We thank you. We wish you the most inspired life you could possibly live. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Some of the concepts and tools used in the process of helping you discover a more balanced and inspired life are provided by the Kinder Institute, Money Quotient, and The Strategic Coach. These may be referenced throughout different episodes of the podcast, and you can learn more about each of them in our show notes at hwph.org. You can also find more information about the work Mark and Aries do at sandiegowealth.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and available directly via email with feedback, questions, and more at us at hwph.org. Thank you all for listening.